Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Josh Newberg. I'm hosting the show today. And the only thing I'm going to apologize for is Brendan's terrible intro music. Uh, let's get straight to it. We got a special show lined up today. I've got a pair of co-workers on, but not the usual pair. Today, I have Andrew Ivins from our Miami site, Inside the U, and Blake Alderman from Swamp 247, our Gator site. Thanks for joining me, fellas. How you guys doing? Doing good, good man. Yep, I set that up perfectly to get the double response uh, right on top of each other. So things are going going well. Uh, I want to I want to ask you first, Ivans. We're, we're just going to dive right into it. I want to ask you how your fan base, the Miami Hurricane fan base, views Mike Norvell as opposed to Willie Taggart. Uh, I mean, am I basing this off of like what I see on message boards or like what I see oh, on yeah. Twitter? Oh yeah, the the reliable source. We're going straight to the message boards. Uh, do is there a sense of um, maybe FSU is getting their stuff together under Mike Norvell? I think so. I mean, I think if you're a Miami fan. Given how things went in in Tallahassee this past season, you're you're a little sad to see uh, Willie go, and I, I think there are some people that are a little maybe scared of what Mike Norvell could do and what he could build um, with his staff. But I, I think at the same time, there's probably a lot of Miami fans that are kind of in wait and see mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, both programs have kind of been on in turmoil for the last handful of years. Well, Miami maybe a little bit longer, but. I think when it comes to FSU and Miami, they just hope for the worst for both of them. Um, not much is different from the Florida Gator perspective, huh, Blake? What What's the sense of the uh, Florida State program from that side of the fence? You know, I wouldn't say there's a ton of change. Um, I think maybe the punchline jokes of you know that kind of became Willie Taggart's you know tenure in Florida State. I don't know that those are going to still be there. Obviously. Um, you know, I don't know that Mike Norvell was, you know, kind of came in with, you know, this big pedigree of, you know, coming from a school like Memphis. Obviously, he did great things there. But I don't know that there's really, you know, any change so much as, you know, kind of the outlook of Florida State. I think the thing that's going to change that is if they're going to start winning. Are they going to start turning things around? I will say mm-hmm. that just, you know, kind of checking message boards and whatnot. Um, I do think that Florida fans are, uh, you know, keeping an eye on how Florida State is recruiting. Um, you know, they've obviously got some crystal balls. Um, for a four-star wide receiver out of Louisiana. Um, so, you know, and that was a guy who, you know, had Florida in his top five. So I think you're starting to see right. Florida, or at least Florida State mentioned in the same, you know, top schools as Florida. You know, may, maybe is where those weren't, you know, in the last couple of years here, you know, Florida State was kind of struggling to do some recruiting, and, you know, especially in the state, you know, just with kind of how things have gone for them over the, you know, through the season. So, you know, I don't know that there's a ton of change. I think it's kind of the same sense of, you know, they're just keeping an eye on things. Um, winning is obviously going to change those things. Um, continuing to, you know, kind of stay after it. I think one thing that I did notice the other day, actually, um, is that Florida State has been putting out a lot more edits for kids, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, you were kind of seeing those over the Willie Taggart, you know, whatever his coaching thing, and, you know, they were kind of funny. <laughs> you know, a lot of people were kind of making fun of them. You know, I don't know that we're seeing those anymore. So I think in a sense it does seem like Florida State has kind of gotten their stuff together. But, again, it's wait and see. I take it what you guys just said is Florida State has hit rock bottom, <laughs> and at least we bottomed out because you're right. I think the Willie Taggart era, uh, just everything from on the field to off the field was laughable. Um, at least Mike Norvell has changed the perception of things. Now we got to see if he can change it on the field. Hey, at so, least there's not a picture of him possibly being naked on a shark. So I don't know that you've really got hit rock bottom yet. I mean, I have plenty know, of stories for that one. 
I was thinking, I was thinking about that, the, the McIlwain shark pick and, you know, all these coaches can pretty much get away with anything they want if they're winning. I mean, I I don't, I don't think, yeah, go ahead, Blake. Then that's the thing. You know, you see a lot of these coaches, they're cocky, you know, they're not always super friendly. You know I mean? Maybe not what you see in like, you know, when the cameras are on, but for the most part, you know, these coaches aren't like, you know, super friendly, Mm -hmm. but when you're winning, you can be that kind of guy. You can be that, you know, kind of dry, not super overly friendly, but whenever you, you know, you're winning, people are like, Oh man, who cares? He's super serious. We're winning. Do this, blah, 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 blah. But if you're not winning, everyone's like, man, this guy's not very nice. And I don't know that I really like him. And I think that that was the biggest thing with McIlwain. You know, you kind of come in and you try to do this, you know, cut of the cloth of, you know, having a guy like Nick Saban, you know, that kind of pedigree of that, you know, Saban can get away with whatever he wants because he wins, you know, that kind of personality isn't going to be big on a fan base. But when you're a Jim McElwain and you're not winning, things aren't going well, you're not recruiting well, and you're not winning. I don't think that that's going to really help. So, you know, I guess that, you know, there's some differences there um, kind of compared to obviously, you know, Taggart, because I mean, for all the things considered, he was a good guy. He just didn't really seem to have his stuff together. Was that really McElwain on the shark? I need to know. I don't know. Once and I don't know. What I about mean, in your? We'll opinion? have to ask. Maybe do some facial recognition through the CIA <laughs> or something. DNA test. Call a guy. I'm with it. Google Google Images. Can we can we uh throw run a search through there? A revert. Yeah, I think we can do something. All right. So I want to ask you guys, who runs the state? Ivan. In terms of the big three or yeah, in general? Yeah. Well, first let's let's rank the let's rank the big three first. So Ivan's go ahead. Uh, it's without a doubt, Florida's number one, and it's not really even, I think, close. And that's just basing. I mean, I've thought a lot about this because it's a common question. But mm-hmm. when you go to these camps and these all-star events, I mean, you hear any big name kid will mention Florida, um, and it seems like most of the time you have to pry Miami or, or Florida State out of some of the other ones. Like I think Florida State and Miami are very involved with that second tier group of kids, but the best, the best, the top 20 of the state, uh, it's Florida. And then it's a long list of SEC schools and Clemson. So, um, I would lean to Florida being number one and then really Miami and and, and Florida state, I would say are kind of even in that two a two B category. Yeah. I think those uh, Miami and FSU kind of battle it out. What do you, Blake, um, for the battle for number two, who you got? I know. I never thought I'd be able to ask your, your trademark question of, you know, who's number two in the state. I, I'm feeling a little, little high class now, but I, I would, I, if I had to pick a two, I would give it to Florida state. Um, again, I don't know that this is big gap there. Florida, I would say is one. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, considering I, I totally agree with what Ivan said and the fact that, you know, it's a lot of other SEC schools, it's Clemson. And then I would probably turn the page to Florida state, Miami, but looking at the big three, I think the fact that Florida State has had a national championship in enough years where these kids are familiar with the mm-hmm. players, um, you know, they're just familiar with that success that they have. If they don't consider, you know, if they don't continue to improve or they don't turn things around, I think that they can continue to kind of slide down in the conversation there. But I think just basing off the fact they've had a recent national championship, um, kids are really familiar with some of the players that they've had on that. You know, there's really good teams when Jimbo was there. Um, so I think I would probably give it to Florida State, but I don't know it's just big, you know, separation between Florida State and Miami. Right. Um, the the 2020 rankings finished with UF number eight, Miami number 13, and FSU number 22. The year before, though, Miami was with the transition class going from Rick to Manny, 
and they finished number 28. So Florida State did a little bit better with their transition class at number 22. Um, but, you know, by in-state standards, anything out the, outside of the top 10 really isn't getting it done. Um, we saw a lot of out-of-state teams dipping into Florida. Just last year, guys like Jalen Carter, Tim Smith, Fred Davis, Demarcus Bowman, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemary, uh, Marcus Doomerville, the list really goes on and on and on, all left the state. All guys that anybody in the big three would have taken, they all left the state. So to you, Ivans, speak more about the South Florida area. Why are we, what are we seeing happening right now in, in that area that you cover? Uh, these schools get on private jets. They come down here and they, they get whoever they want. Um, <laughs> why, is, why do you think it's so easy right now, in South, especially in South Florida? Well, I mean, look, when Miami's winning, it, it's way more for attractive for, for the top the big dogs, the blue chip recruits down here to stay home. And, and if you don't believe me, go back to the 2018 season when Miami uh, was in the college football playoff conversation. They had college game day on campus when they, when they faced Notre Dame and look at that visitors list. It was absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so w- when they're winning in the cities behind the team, uh, everyone wants to get, to give Miami a look, but uh, right now there is no, no, no incentive to stay home. I mean, look, Miami lost to FIU at a game that was played at Marlins park when FIU <clears throat> invited like 300 recruits like that crushed Miami locally crushed mm-hmm. them. Um, and it, 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 just the way things have gone in recent years, I mean, it's way more attractive to go to an Alabama, a, a Georgia a LSU or a Clemson, like those, those programs um, are real appealing to kids. And it's, because they're winning. And it's also because I think they got head coaches that the kids like, I mean, kids like Ed Orgeron kids like Dabo Sweeney. Heck, I like if I don't, if I visited Clemson as a recruit and I I talked to Dabo, I don't think I could tell that guy. No. So, um, I I just think that they, that the winning helps and those facilities are, are, are nice. Uh, and, and that's why kids want to go there. I mean, it's really, there, there is an offense around Miami right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's a free for all. Um, Blake, who who does run the state? Is it Florida or is it Alabama, UGA, or Clemson? You know, right now I would say it's probably Clemson. I I, would, I just think that they've done a really good job of kind of keeping those upper tier kind of guys. Um, you know, I don't know that it's this big wide gap of things, but you see them get a Demarcus Bowman, a guy like that who, uh, you know, at one point, you know, seemed like Florida's to lose. You know, you have a guy that's at Lakeland High School that a lot of Florida fans know the success that Florida's had there. Here comes Clemson. They come in and they offer him, you know, kind of late after everybody else, and that's where he signs. And, mm-hmm. you know, despite Florida trying to continue to flip him and, you know, work their efforts on him, you know, he's still stuck with Clemson. Um, I think if you look at another guy like Fred Davis, another guy who was really talented in the state of Florida, you know, kind of right there in the backyard of Jacksonville, um, and here comes Clemson. They, you know, kind of take him away. I think it could kind of be an argument made for Georgia and Alabama too, with you know, just some of those guys that you named. But I think that right now, if I had to pick between, you know, who runs the state, am I taking Florida or am I taking the field of other out of state schools? I'm taking the field. I'm taking the Georgias. I'm taking the LSUs, the Clemsons, you know, those schools just are coming in and mm-hmm. they're continuously, I mean, this isn't just like a new trend either. I think this is, you know, something that could even be made an argument in like the last, you know, five, six, some odd years here to where these schools are just coming in and they're taking the upper you know, echelon type of guys, the ones that, you know, 
for a Florida, you know, a team like Florida now, who if you had to pick the in-state school, it's a no-brainer. It's Florida out of all the other in-state schools. But I feel like now Florida's having to, you know, kind of take their battles up to, you know, battling these guys, you know, the, the LSUs, the Georgias, the Clemsons. And I don't know that they're necessarily doing a bad job now. I think that they're kind of getting to the point where they're winning some more of those battles. But I think overall, I just think that those guys are leaving the state. And I think recruiting in general, general sure, these schools have great facilities. They have great coaches. You know, there's stability. All these schools are winning. Um, if they're not winning national championships, they're making plays for that or they're in the playoffs. So I think a lot of times, too, like, I mean, recruiting in general is just kind of how much clout do you have. And I think that a lot of those out-of-state mm-hmm. schools have that clout to where, you know, you don't have to win every year. You know, I think the thing for me with Florida is, yes, they're having success. But let's say they don't come out and they don't win 10 or 11 games. They don't have this big successful season. I would question if Florida's going to have that same success if they're not showing it on the field. And I, I don't know that's the same argument as you have for a Clemson, a Georgia, or an Alabama. I don't think if they don't come out and win 10, 11, you know, whatever games or not in the playoffs, I don't think you're going to see them drop off on recruiting. So I think the point here is that, you know, these schools are coming in and everyone wants to recruit the state of Florida. You know, that's where you get some of your best guys. South Florida, you know, it's kind of it, it's obviously the mecca of where the talent mm-hmm. is. But, I mean, Florida in general is pretty spread out, pretty good, where, you know, you can get guys – that are elite players throughout the state compared to some other states. So I think at this point, Florida, at least kind of just singling out on Florida, they're going to have to do a better job of kind of keeping these top tier guys away from leaving the state and going to not only these schools that they have to play every other year, whether it's a Georgia or LSU or Alabama, if they make it to the, you know, the SEC championship or something, but Florida's got the, the unfortunate problem now that they're playing a lot of these teams that are stealing these recruits from their home state. Yeah. And I think that you saw, over the course of the last decade, Florida State was the dominant team, especially early on in the decade. And kind of like what you said, the timeline that you said in the last four or five years, it seems like more teams have come in and kind of uh, taken advantage of the state of Florida. Possibly that is coincides with the fact that Florida State started slipping in 2016 and 2017. And there was a vacuum there. And unfortunately, well, or fortunately, it depends on your perspective. Florida was not able to fill that vacuum in time. And I think, you know, like you said, Florida is recruiting at a very high level. They just need to kind of take it up one more notch to that elite level. And one of the guys I was watching last offseason or during the recruiting season was uh, Tim Smith. And Tim Smith was a guy that visited Florida so many times. And it looked nine times. Here we go. Florida's going to flip one, flip one from Bama and the tides are going to turn. And it just didn't happen. Florida ends up finishing eighth. Was it a bit of a letdown uh, this, this 2020 cycle for the, for UF? Did you expect a top five class? You know, I did. I did expect that because I think whenever you, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Whenever you have a guy like Tim Smith, who's on campus so many times, you know, you, you kind of expect that, you know, the tides are turning and then here it comes, you know, I think in the, span of all these visits he took to Florida I, I want to say he was there like eight or nine times I mean he was there a ton I think he visited Bama twice through that entire span and I think that one of those was his official visit to Alabama so you know you kind of look at things and you try to be logical with recruiting which is stupid on my part for trying to be logical because I mean it's not um, but I think whenever you look at that you know those are ones that you expect for to kind of get things done I think in the big scheme of things Florida fans on, you know, signing day, you know, you lose an Avante Williams to a guy that you thought was in the bag. You know, you don't flip a guy, um, you know, you don't flip Clyde Pender. You don't flip uh, Timothy Smith. You don't flip. Um, there was some other defensive linemen that Florida was kind of in play for that they did it. I think it's about timing with Florida. 
because if you look at signing day, they're not big signing days where you kind of build things up and you're not closing on those guys that you think you have a chance to flip or land. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, before the early signing period, Florida landed. Uh, they flipped Mordecai McDaniel, a four-star safety mm-hmm. from Tennessee. Um, they flipped another guy. Um, I, I, the name escapes me right now, but they, it's about timing. You know, if Florida would have got those guys to flip on signing day or early signing period, it probably have been a big party. But instead, you have those guys do it before. Joshua Braun was the other guy. He flipped from Georgia. Um, so, you know, these are big-time players at big-time positions that Florida needed. But it wasn't on a signing day where everyone in the world, even people who don't follow recruiting every day, it's not, you know, their, their you know, drug of choice. Um, you know, there's people who kind of come in on signing day and they're like, well, well, you guys had all these guys that Florida was in play for, they were had on the table for, and Florida didn't land any of them. But it's still, you know, like you said, a top 10 class. You know, they got a lot of needs. I, I felt like Florida's 2020 class in general did fill a lot of needs that mm-hmm. they really needed to hit on. So, you know, there's arguments that there were good things about the signing class can't complain having a class with guys like that that are going to come in and make a you know an early impact but i think just it's such a letdown for florida to kind of build things up and then have a signing day like they did you know for early signing period and uh national signing day this past cycle so i do think there was a little letdown there i've been switching it back to 2021 recruiting uh during during the quarantine what are some of the things that uh, the miami coaching staff is doing Uh, are you hearing of anything interesting uh, not as interesting as some of these schools out here. Like I know Michigan's doing virtual meetings with academic advisors. Um, I think I just saw Ole Miss's coaches are doing quote unquote virtual road tours. I mean, I don't know what that mm-hmm. is. When you go to a team's huddle page and like scroll up and down the, the list while talking to a coach uh, over the phone, I, I guess that's a, a tour. Um, no, I mean, they're just kind of doing what other people are doing and that's FaceTiming kids uh, zoom. I, I don't know if zooms are happening, but they, they haven't done anything crazy yet. Like a virtual junior day. And I mean, I, I kind of agree with the move. Like Miami's in a pretty unique spot. Um, given the fact that they have gotten most of the South Florida kids on campus at some point in the past year. And it wasn't just one time. I mean, it's been multiple times they've been recruiting guys like, Leonard Taylor, James Williams, uh, Jashawn Marshall, uh, like they've been recruiting those guys um, since they were freshmen and, and sophomores in high school. So mm-hmm. th- they have those relationships. They don't need to show off what they have. So they're in a unique spot. Um, what I think is unfortunate if you're Miami is you really didn't get a massive junior day in in, in the month of March like mm-hmm. Florida State did, like Florida did. Miami didn't do anything. I mean, the last right. junior day they had was in, in January. So they're at a disadvantage there. Uh, but if you want my honest opinion on the 2021 class is going to come down to whether or not Manny Diaz wins in year two, like they can recruit as much as they want now while mm-hmm. everyone's sitting at home. But if they don't win, um, they're not going to get the kids they want. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, Florida State and Miami are sitting in an interesting spot with no very limited spring practices, very limited times to get kids on campus. And, and in a way, it's kind of like a popularity contest. Without them being able to go out on the field and prove that they're different, they, they've got to rely on you know the product that they put on the field last year. And um, Florida State's done a couple creative things you know, with graphics and whatnot, but nothing too crazy. What about uh, over there in Gainesville, Alderman? Anything, uh, anything that's caught your eye? You know, nothing cool, you know, nothing like, you know, I saw Texas A&M, I think it was, or doing like Madden tournaments, right? Um, you know, playing with guys online through that. I think that's a cool idea. I don't know that 
kids in the state of Florida are, you know, kind of those kids like that. I don't think they care about these virtual tours or, <laughs> you know, virtual so in-home business or I would you know, agree. <laughs> whatever. I, I don't think these kids care about that. You know, I, I think if you ask a kid from down here, they think that's super corny. And I think that Florida kind of knows that. And I think that they're doing kind of the same as Miami. They're doing the FaceTime calls. They're doing Zoom calls. Um, you know, they're having, you know, group FaceTime, you know, conversations with kids where it's, you know, a couple coaches in there, but they're doing it every day, you know, maybe not the same kid every day, but they're making sure to kind of keep pulse on these top tier guys. And, and, you know, whereas Miami didn't have, you know, these junior days, Florida had two of them. They had one in February and they had a huge junior day with, you know, I, I think if not every top target they had on for the 2021 class, I mean, it was most of them. So Florida had a really big junior day right there on the seventh. You know, they were kind of the last visit for a lot of these kids, you know, in the same sense, they've been recruiting a lot of these guys for a you know, year, two years now. Um, so I don't know that they really need to do those kind of things to where the vir- virtual tours, I think it's just continuing to kind of build the relationships through phone calls. Florida's really hitting the graphics hard. I've seen, a, you know, a couple of ones that they put out, you know, every day and mm-hmm. they seem to be kind of churning things out. Florida's even got to the point where they're like sitting out edits to like former players. So, I mean, I they're just trying like, to continue to stay active, like all the former players. Like Jesse, like Palmer literally now. everyone. Yeah, I've seen some that I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty interesting. Uh, the transfer portal has also been active. I know Florida State has been a team that's been dipping their toes in the transfer portal, and so is Miami. Is Miami active with anybody currently? Uh, no. Um, I mean, would you consider doing... there any to be any transfer portal targets like that? You know, that they're pursuing. So it, it, Miami, I mean, like pretty much every school in the country, from my understanding, is looking for offensive line help. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's they, they basically have one counter left uh, that they signed. What was it? Uh, I'm not going to do the math in my head, but you can only take 25 counters a year. Miami has one spot left. Um, they would like to use it on the offensive line. They, they've kicked some tires on a few different kids. Chris Murray, who yep. was the offensive lineman from UCLA. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with him. Like they, they were interested, but he picked Oklahoma. Um, there's a wide receiver at, in, uh, from North Texas and another at Michigan, Tarek Black, um, that they're also looking at. So it's either going to be a wide receiver or an offensive lineman, but they kind of seem to be in like wait and see mode, just kind of with what's going to happen over the next few months. Like, I mean, what if there's no season? What happens with your counters then? Like, so I don't think they're in as much of a rush as other programs, and they're going to try to take the right, the right guy and the right fit. And as coach speak and cliche as that sounds, like I honestly think that's what they're kind of doing right now. And if if it was up to me, like if I'm sitting with Manny Diaz, you know, in the football facilities making making a decision, I would probably take a receiver over an offensive lineman just because you're going to the spread offense. He returned six guys on the O-line that started a game last season or multiple games, I should say. And I think you want to give De'Ara King another weapon. And I think another dynamic receiver might equal more wins uh, in 2020. Mm. There's currently an exodus leaving Mississippi State right now. A handful of guys, I should say, have left. And Florida State got involved with two of them over the weekend. Uh, Blake. Do you think the Gators can capitalize on this at all? Some of these guys leaving Mississippi State with a familiarity with Dan Mullen? Yeah, you know, I think so. I think that in the grand scheme of things, Fabian Lovett is one who has entered his name into the transfer portal. Uh, You actually had a story Mm -hmm. up on him on on the network um, talking about Florida and Florida State both have reached out. I think that Florida, 
they're in a unique position to where I think they've done a good job recruiting defensive line. And I don't know that it's maybe as big of a you know necessity as maybe compared to Florida state who, who probably really needs a guy like Fabian Lovett to come in and, you know, kind of build up that depth. But I think that Florida is in a, in a unique position where they can kind of be picky. They can kind of see how things are going to go on the recruiting trail of 2021. Um, obviously we'll have to see how the timeline works for Lovett, you know, cause like you said, if there's no season, um, there's obviously a lot of factors here to see how long this decision could go out for him. But I think Florida, um, they've done a good job recruiting in 2020 on the defensive line. I think this, this cycle, they've done a really good job so far. They're in play with a lot of guys. So I don't really know that Lovett is maybe the same necessity for Florida that he is for Florida State. I think if Florida can capitalize, um, it's going to be the fact that Lovett was committed to Dan Mullen and a lot of his staff when he was early committed to Mississippi State. He obviously backed off that, took some visits, and he took an official visit to Florida um, whenever he was a senior in high school and you know, kind of going into the process. So he's really familiar with Florida. I think if they wanted to get involved with him, I think that they could be a major player for him. Um, but I think another guy, um, Florida's done a really good job through the transfer portal. You kind of look back, Trevon Grimes, Brenton Cox, who was supposed to you know, be a guy that could make a big impact mm-hmm. for Florida off the edge this season. Um, Justin Shorter, five, former five-star wide receiver. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's quite a few guys that Florida's been in the market for for the transfer portal that can you know, help them if they can get these waivers or when they're ready to play or you know, however those work out. But I think if you're looking at Mississippi State to kind of zero on things, Every team needs help on the offensive line. Florida's offensive line struggled last year. I know they kind of were were still shopping guys around and swapping different spots around to kind of figure out what was the best fit for them to kind of go through the season. So the fact that Florida couldn't really get any push up front really kind of affected their run game. They were really pass heavy throughout the season last year. So I think if if I had to just pick my guy from Mississippi State that, you know, let's just say he transfers. Um, I don't think his name's in the portal at all, but a former offensive lineman who was recruited by Mullen and Stuart Reese. I think mm-hmm. he brings a guy who can play some tackle um, where Florida was really kind of struggling last year with John DeLance at that right tackle spot. He was probably their worst offensive lineman. So I think if you can get a guy like Reese in, move him in a guard where he's more natural at and he can help you on your interior part of your line, or even if you want to move him out to right tackle, I think that if I had to pick one guy off of Mississippi State's line or uh, roster that has connections with Mullen, that has connections with his staff, I think it would have to be Reese. Obviously, his name's not in the transfer portal, but I think if I'm Florida, that would be the one that would really move the needle for me. Yeah. Damn, Blake's like Blake's like tampering over here, giving a He's recruiting going pitch all to him. In. <laughs> I like it. Hey, we got time. We're on. We're in quarantine. And speaking of that, I want to thank you guys for uh, taking the time to sit down on the on the bench podcast with us. Normally, what this is, we're heading into. We're in April, so we're ooh, we're right in the middle of seven on seven season. And Ivan's, you would be probably three weekends out of four at a seven on seven event. I know we complain a lot about it, but do you kind of miss it? Oh yeah, dude. I was thinking about that. <laughs> I'd like, love I was, to be seven on seven today. I was like, honestly, like, man, I just want to go to an event and knock out 30 interviews. So I don't have to call any kids and then just kind of cruise and, and get some sun and some tan and just interact with people. Like I honestly do miss a, a, a hair a little bit. I probably won't be saying that. And, and if it gets crazy in June or July, but yes. For people listening, um, we complain about seven on seven a lot, but one of the reasons why it's great is because you can go out there and you might spend eight hours on a Sunday out on the field, but you can get 15, 20, 30 interviews. So that means come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you can wake up in the morning, you can write your two interviews and you can have the rest of the day for (laughs) to kind of do your own thing. So it's, it's a good way to get content, but it's also a good way to build relationships with these kids. Uh, Blake, have you found recruits to be more or less receptive during quarantine? 
You know, I think it's more, you know, the fact that you don't get to go out and get these interviews that, you know, you kind of count on during this time of the year, because like you said, you can wake up and have your day done and still know that you have like 25, 30 interviews still left in the tank that can last you, you know, all week. Don't get me wrong. I love my weeks to where I have like, you know, nothing really to do other than just kind of look back and see who's the most interesting interview I had and work myself down that list. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest things that was mentioned is, you know, that FaceTime you get with some of these kids, that's big. But I will say that, you know, from just having to be forced to calling these kids and kind of seeing what's going on and talking about different things, I feel like a lot of these kids are like us now to where, you know, it's been about a week or two of, you know, kind of stuck in the house, not really being able to do much. So I think these kids, to a certain extent, maybe don't like the interviews as much as we like them, but I think they're in the same boat of, you know, kind of wanting to do more of them to where, you know, I've had some kids that I thought like, yeah, there's no way this guy's going to pick up the phone. There's no way he's going to talk. And then they're like, you know, very into talking. They're cool with it. So I think these kids are about just as bored as we are. And it's pretty sad when you're that bored that you'll be okay with doing an interview because we're in a hashtag no interview um, era right now. So it's been good. It's been surprisingly good for me because I thought, you know, whenever I see all these dead periods stretching out, I'm like, man, I'm, I, I don't, there's no way I'm going to have any content. I don't know what I'm going to be able to do, but I've been pretty surprised so far. I know I've actually been trending slightly above like my average, which is kind of surprising. Um, Panic, man. They, Panic makes you do work more. I know. Right. And, and just having all this time on my hands, but I want to thank you guys for spending the time with me. Uh, you guys can follow Andrew Ivans at Andrew underscore Ivans, and you can follow Blake Alderman at Blake underscore Alderman. Thanks fellas. Later. See ya. You bet. And that is it for this most recent episode of On the Bench. Um, we should have Brendan Sinone back. I know you guys are, are worried that he's left you, but he'll be back Hi. soon. Oh, Jesus. There Bye. He is. All right. Well, for Josh Newberg, I'm Josh Newberg, and this is On the Bench. It's not that easy, is it? <laughs> but I'm not apologizing. of sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen this is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. <laughs> And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.